take your Bibles tonight and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. We're going to finish a message that we began last Lord's Day on churches, concrete or combustible. We preached part 1 last week looking there at verses 10 through 15. We covered verses 11 and 12 tonight. With the Lord's help, we will cover verses 13 through 15. And it always amazes me how providential preaching through the Word of God is. I have learned that you do not have to make the Bible relevant. I've learned that the Bible is always relevant. Our job is merely to expose its relevancy and to preach it. And so with the Lord's help, we will finish up this message as we are considering the role of the church in the New Covenant ministry. I'll begin reading there in verse number 10. I'm going to read this whole section, but again, our thoughts primarily will be drawn from verses 12 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, these are the words of God. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon, thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. There were two men who lived in a certain town. And one day they both decided to build a home for their families. One man determined to build with the most durable materials he could find and employ the most skilled craftsmanship possible, even though this meant that his home would be much more expensive and would take much more time and sacrifice to construct. The other man decided to use the most popular and inexpensive materials available and to build as quickly as possible even if that meant cutting some corners here and there. Sure enough, the second man finished the construction of his home much sooner than the first, and by all outward appearances, it seemed that he was the more successful builder. But then came the day when a great fire broke out in that town. And as flames ravaged the city, they eventually came to the street on which these two men lived. And all of the supposed innovation possessed by that second man was burnt up in the flames as his house with the cheaper and combustible materials was consumed in the inferno. When the fire eventually subsided, there was nothing left of this second man's home. However, the home of the first man, because of the quality of the materials, And because the method of construction persevered through the flames and remained standing when everything around it crumbled into dust. 
This was the scene of the great Chicago fire in the mid-1800s. Many buildings in that city crumbled to the ground. Only very few remained. And what made the difference between the buildings that remained and the buildings that crumbled had to do with what they were made of. And what is true physically of houses is true spiritually of churches. The text before us tells us that there is coming a day in which all churches and all ministers and all ministries and all church members and all servants shall be tried by the examining fires of God. And whether our ministry stands strong on that day or whether we are consumed in the flames will depend on the materials we used in the building process. Last week we considered the true foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And we noted that our role is not to lay a new foundation. That cannot be done. But it is rather to build upon that one true foundation. And this week we shall consider the suitable materials that are to be used in the building up of the church. Let me remind you once again that this text is not primarily addressing your life as an individual, though there are applications that can be made. Rather, this is addressing you as your role in the body of Christ, your role in this collective work. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We were not designed to uh, just go out in the woods and have me and Jesus time all by ourselves. No, we were designed to live together, to build together, to work together, to serve together, and to worship together. And you'll remember that we have six headings for this text, one for each of the verse. And last week, we looked at verses 10 and 11, the framers and the foundation. And this week, we will consider the last four of those headings. Beginning from where we left off with the third heading, in verse number 12, I want you to see the features, the features of this building. The Bible says in verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, and again we see that this is echoing what we've already learned in the previous verses. Christ, the foundation, has been laid. Amen. He was laid by the apostles and the prophets who were the cornerstone builders of the New Testament church. And our role is now to build upon that foundation and we are to continue to build until Jesus returns. Unless we falsely assume that this text only applies to pastors or elders, I want you to pay special attention to who Paul addresses each of these verses to. Look at verse 12. It says, Now if any man... Then in verse 13, Every man's work. Verse 14, If any man, verse 15, if any man, I don't think Paul is repeating himself just for the sake of hearing his own voice. I think Paul is repeating himself for a reason, and that reason is so that you will understand that this text applies to any and everyone who has a role in the building up of the church. Yes, the pastor or the elders play their role, and they do in some sense have a greater sense of responsibility and duty, But as Baptists, we believe that the Bible teaches that at the end of the day, the pastor is first and foremost a member of the local assembly. He is just as much accountable to the body as all of the other members. And those who neglect their duties because they falsely assume that the work of the church belongs exclusively to the man behind the pulpit, 
will be sadly mistaken on the day of judgment. Amen. Now notice the features. Notice the materials here. If any man build upon this foundation, and here are the array of materials that could possibly be used. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. The Bible lists six materials that could be used in the construction of the church. And they are not to be understood as literal, but they are figurative representations of the entire array of materials that could possibly be used in the building of the church. And we're not talking about physical materials. Uh, This is not Paul saying you need to build your church with maple instead of cedar. No, these are spiritual materials. So let's unpack them and determine what these lists are telling us about how we should build. Several things to know. There are only two groups of materials. This list divides in half. Gold, silver, precious stones is one group. Wood, hay, and stubble is another group. Also understand that each group is listed in the order of most valuable to least valuable. Gold is more valuable than silver. Silver is more valuable than precious stones. Stubble is less valuable than hay. Hay is less valuable than uh, wood, wood, hay, stubble. So how do these lists apply to us? Well, every material that we will use, everything that we do, everything that you bring, everything that you contribute will either be good or bad. Nothing is neutral. Neutrality is a myth. And it's a myth in many different areas. Church planting is one of them. That means that we need to be especially careful. We need to have a close examination of everything we do. We must have the right message. We must have the right method. And we must have the right motives. I mentioned last week that one of the first questions a true Christian asks about his own life is, is this biblical? When God saves a sinner, the first desire that He puts within them, and I believe it's a desire that will continue with them so long as they live, is a a desire to live biblically. And the same is true, not only in your individual life, but also in the work of the church. We must ask the question, is this biblical? I believe one of the reasons why a lot of churches are in the shape that they're in is because they quit asking, is this biblical? And they just relied on traditions. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the way we've always done it. Mm. Well, we've been doing that since 1955. Uh, It's always worked for us. We don't see any need in changing it. The only problem is that they never stopped to ask, is this biblical? And I'm talking about the biggest decisions to the smallest decisions. Those of you who are here at the very beginning of Christ Fellowship, you will remember that we asked that question about everything. We wanted to design the sanctuary in such a way that it would be biblical. We wanted the pulpit to take front and center because the Word of God is front and center in the congregation. We wanted to have a piano and we wanted to sing solid, robust hymns and psalms. We were very careful about the type of literature that we had to display, about the way we collected our offerings. There's a reason why we do the things that we do, because we have asked the question, is this biblical? And by the grace of God, we have tried to do that which we believe is biblical in accordance to the word written. We must not settle for something that is good enough. We must always strive 
to do, use, and be the best we possibly can. Mm -hmm. Do not settle for silver when you can use gold. Amen. Within the good materials, some are better than others. And within the bad materials, some are worse than others. So it is not okay to say, well, there's nothing that explicitly condemns this in the Bible, therefore we can do it. No, we must say, what would the Bible have us to positively do? Amen. And we must do that. These lists also reveal to us that quality is much more important than quantity. Amen. A lot of the bad will never trump even a little of the good. For instance, what would you rather have? A handful of gold or a basement of pine straw? It was Stephen Lawson who said, we are preoccupied with size. God is preoccupied with substance. Amen. And yes, I understand we're a small group. I understand we meet in a very modest building space. But we're not to concern ourselves with those things first and foremost. Because if we're small and we have no substance, if we get bigger, it'll just be a whole lot more of nothingness. But if we have substance, we can trust the Lord to grow us as He sees fit. And as I've said many times, our job is not to be stressed out over numbers. Our job is to ensure that we are conducting the work of the Lord the way God wants us to do it, and to keep those embers hot, to keep the fire going, and then God will put wood as He sees fit. Amen. We must build with that which is eternal, not temporal. We must build with that which is priceless, not worthless. We must build with that which is the truth and not a lie. We must build with that which is sincere and not fake. We must build with that which is faithful and not fizzling. We must build with that which is robust and not reductionistic. We must build with that which is spiritual, not that which is carnal. We must build with that which is God-glorifying, not man-pleasing. We must build with materials that are concrete, not combustible. How do we determine what materials are gold, silver, and precious stones, and what materials are wood, hay, and stubble? How do we determine what we are to do? Well, all faulty, combustible materials have one thing in common. All of these wicked church growth strategies have one thing in common. They originate from the suppositions of man's mind, not in the Word of God. There you go. They're unbiblical. They are extra-biblical. They are not in the Bible. Therefore, when we are gathering the materials that we will use in the building of the ministry, we must never go beyond that which is written. Things such as cultural attractions, church traditions, legalism, intellectualism, worldly philosophy, and entertainment have no place in God's building. May we strive to build God's church, God's way, for God's glory. He is the master architect. He has given us the blueprints. We hold the blueprints in our hands. May we be faithful to these blueprints. That is the features of this building, the materials, and how important they are. But I want you to see, fourthly, 
And when I say fourthly, I'm including our two headings from the last message, which part one is uploaded on our sermon audio if you've not had the chance to avail yourself to it. But our fourth heading from verse 13, the fire. The fire. The Bible says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. There will be a building inspection conducted by the great architect himself. Amen. We will have plenty to answer for in that inspection. Everything that you have ever contributed to the church of Jesus Christ will be laid out and manifested and personally evaluated by the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus will make a critical examination of each man's work. We will all give an account. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 14, in that vision that John received of Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, that his eyes were as a flame of fire. Amen. The one with whom you will stand before sees all. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing will be closed off from his sight on Amen. that day. All aspects of your service will be made manifest before Christ. That should make you feel uncomfortable. Amen. For the day shall declare it. Verse 13. This day speaks of the day of judgment after this present world has come to an end. As one said, there are only two days on God's calendar. This day and that day. In the prophetic time clock, there are only two days that matter for you. How you are living right now and how you will appear before Jesus Christ on that day. Amen. And in the present, it may seem like you face no consequence for your unfaithfulness. You don't attend as you ought. You don't pray as you ought. You don't give as you ought. You don't serve as you ought. You don't read as you ought. You don't evangelize as you ought. And nothing happens to you. No consequences. There's coming a day when your infidelity will be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says that the day will declare it. And that day is fixed in the eternal counsels of God. He has ordained that day from before the foundation of the world. It is unavoidable. Our work, our ministry, this fellowship here in Paris, Tennessee, is on a collision course with that day. Mm -hmm. Amen. And let me ask you, if that day was tomorrow, Mm. what would be declared about you? Jonathan Edwards, in one of his resolutions, he said, Resolved to never do anything that I would not want to be doing if I knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow. Amen. Well, what about you? Would you be declared as a faithful Christian, a faithful servant of Jesus Christ? Or would you be declared as a lazy pew warmer? Hmm. I think these are things that we must consider. And you might say that I'm sounding harsh, But if that day is coming, or let me say, since that day is coming, it becomes my duty to warn you of this day. It becomes your duty to consider this day. May you live with eternity stamped upon your eyeballs. May the greatest thought in your mind be your accountability to God. The Bible says again, it shall be revealed by fire. Verse 13. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
This judgment is conducted by fire because fire exposes. Fire reveals. Fire discriminates. Fire distinguishes. Mm -hmm. Fire determines the quality of the object in the flames. Mm -hmm. What happens when gold is placed in a very, very hot fire? It is melted down. It is refined. It is hardened. And it comes out even more pure than when it went in. Amen. But what happens when hay is placed in a fire? It is burnt up. It is incinerated. It is no more. And there is coming a day when you will stand before God and God will call down fire upon your service. And everything you have ever done will pass through this fiery trial. Will you have the contributions to the ministry of Christ that will be refined and approved like gold? Or will all of your efforts be instantaneously burnt up on that day? This day is fixed. This day is unavoidable. This day is immovable. We must consider this day. I must warn you of this day because I want you to receive the approbation of Christ on that day. I'm not telling you any of this because I want your works to be burnt up. If I did, I wouldn't be preaching this text at all. Mm -hmm. I do not want any of you to have your life's work go up in smoke and waste it on that day because your reward is my reward. For you to do well on that day is for me to do well on that day. For you to be approved on that day is for me to be approved on that day. And as we consider these last two headings, I want you to think about which character you will be on that day. In verses 14 and 15, we see a comparison between two completely different individuals. One is the faithful, and one is the failure. And you will be one or the other on that day. Right. Because the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Verse 14, we see the failure. Or, excuse me, we see the faithful. Verse 14. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon. This is one who has wisely invested his life in the work of God. This is one who has studied the scriptures to see what God would have him to do, and then he did it. Amen. This is one who lived a life of exemplary faithfulness. If any man's work abide, well, why would it have to abide? What is it going through? Well, it is going through this fiery trial. Mm-hmm. All of our works are going to go through this fiery trial. Which he hath built thereupon. Thereupon what? Thereupon that foundation. All Christians are those who build upon this foundation. And this is the one who has prioritized the service of Christ over other worldly pursuits and endeavors. This is one who is not just satisfied to be saved. He wanted to serve. I was speaking with a Christian at a conference last month. And we were talking about a doctrine that is important, although not necessary for salvation. But it does have a lot to do with 
how well you please the Lord in your daily life. And they said this to me, and I thought it was very telling of their mindset. They said, well, I know what the Bible says, but that doesn't have anything to do with my salvation. Therefore, I'm not really too concerned about it. Well, I suppose they're right. I suppose they will still die and go to heaven, even though they reject something that they admit is true and right and good. But what a shame it is that we would be so selfish as to think that the only thing that matters is that I'm saved from damnation. Mm -hmm. Rather, we should look at our conversion as the entranceway, as the doorway, as the beginning to a life lived to serve and please Jesus Christ. The one here whose work abides was not satisfied to just be saved from hell. He wanted to serve Christ. He wanted to be approved of Christ. He was looking for new ways to please His Lord. Amen. He was looking for new opportunities to be a faithful Christian. Amen. He never uttered the words, well, it doesn't affect my salvation, so I guess it doesn't matter what I do. That's called fireproof religion. They want just enough Christianity to keep them from hell. But they do not want Christianity that truly conforms them to Jesus Christ. There's also Edwards who says, Every man who hears of hell flatters himself that he shall escape it. But the truth is, the one who faithfully serves, who has a work that abides, that endures the the, the fiery trials, is the one who perseveres in service. For this individual, it was not enough to come limping into heaven. I I really get sick of those foolish songs that talk about, just build me a cabin on the outskirts of glory. As if I don't really care how close I am to Jesus Christ, just as long as I'm not in hell. Well, I pray that you have the determination to enter glory with crowns and accomplishments and achievements, not for your own name's sake, but so that you have something to enter into the presence of Christ and to kneel at His feet and to cast those crowns down before Him. Amen. Hope that you will not only be satisfied to pass the test, but that you will thrive through those fires. Amen. I hope that, that this message... Uh, is not something that is fearful for you, but I hope that this message is something that is encouraging for you. May you look forward to the day in which Christ will try your works. And for the man whose work abides, the Bible says in verse 14, he shall receive a reward. What is this reward? Well, this reward is not salvation. Remember, this is not a judgment of sin. This is a judgment of service. All those who are in this judgment are saved. They are Christians because they have the right foundation. So what is the reward? It's not salvation. It's not heaven. The reward is standing before Christ and hearing the words, Well done, Amen. thou good and faithful servant. I believe the reward for pastors and for everyone is seeing the fruits of your ministry standing beside you and listening as they hear the same thing.
what a, what a joyous thought to think that there will be those who will be present in heaven who were brought to Christ through something that God did within you. Amen. Maybe it was someone you witnessed to. Maybe it was someone you handed out a tract to. Maybe it was someone who heard a sermon that you preached or a devotional message that you gave. Maybe it was someone that you spoke to years and years ago and you had completely forgotten about them. But the day declared it. Amen. And you will have the kind of life that will persevere through the fires of judgment. You will receive the reward, which is the fruits of your ministry. May we be the type of Christians who want to echo the words of Hebrews 2. Here are the sons which you have given me. And those of you who serve Christ, those of you who serve Him through His church, those of you who make sacrifices to encourage and strengthen others, those of you who strive to reach the lost so that they can know Christ too, you will have works that will endure on that day. Amen. Your reward will be the blessed privilege of entering into glory and having the ability to say, by the grace of God, I am here. By the grace of God, I have served Christ. By the grace of God, I will worship Him for what He has done through me throughout all eternity. These are the rewards that Christ gives to His servants. And I want you to note several truths about them. Number one, It is individual. You will not be rewarded on the basis of another man's work. Do not look to what your pastor is doing. Do not look to what your church is doing and think, well, because God seems to be blessing the church, that must mean that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You must examine yourself. In verse 8 it says, Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You will be examined on the basis of your own works. Right. Secondly, it is not about quality, or it is not about quantity, it is about quality. Right. If in the providence of God, He gives you a very small work, be faithful in that work. Amen. Do not grumble and complain. Amen. Be thankful for what He has given you. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Right. You can have a big quantity with no truth. You can have a big crowd with no gospel. You can have big buildings with no Christ. You can have large numbers with nothing that truly pleases God. Right. And all that will be is more hay and more stubble. By the way, stubble is straw to burn up on that day. Secondly, I want you to note, or thirdly, that the rewards that Christ gives to His faithful servants are exceeding and great. Matthew 5.12 says that. This is not a minuscule pat on the back. This is not just at a boy. I believe that these rewards, we can't fully comprehend them now, but I believe these rewards will be something great to receive from our Master. Mm -hmm. This is the commendation, and I say this with all reverence, this is even the praise of Christ to you. And I want to be careful how we word that. 
Obviously, God is not going to be worshiping you or praising you in that sense. But there is a, a real sense in which Jesus Christ, in His glorified holiness, will commend you who have faithfully served Him. Jesus is the one who distributes this reward. This reward is not given by culture. This reward is not given by government. Praise God. This reward is not given by other Christians. This is a reward that is exclusively given by Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you have many rewards from those other entities, you probably won't have a reward from Christ. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees that sought a reward on earth? They have their reward. Churches that do everything they can to appease culture. Churches that do everything they can to bow down to Caesar. Churches that do everything they can to tickle ears will not have this reward from Christ on that day. All of your service and all of your sacrifice will be completely worth it when you receive this reward. Amen. No one in heaven wishes they could go back and serve God less. But many wish they could go back and serve God more. Amen. Let me lastly say, God wants you to receive this reward. It is not as if God is begrudging with this reward. It is not as if He is obligated, but He really doesn't want to give this reward. No, God wants you to be rewarded. Jesus Christ is glorified when you are rewarded. This is the faithful. This is the one whose work abides on that day. But I want you to see, lastly, our last heading. I want you to see that there is also the failure. The failure. Look at verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned. Just think about that for a moment. What are we talking about? We are talking about someone's entire Christian life. Everything they did in the service of Christ from the moment of their conversion till the moment of their death it is a sobering yet true reality that there will be those who shall stand before Christ on that day and they will have nothing to show for themselves. They were unfaithful to church. They were impious in their conduct. They were apathetic towards the lost. They did not strive for personal holiness. They lived lives of lukewarmness and indifference. And all of their work will be burned up on this day. These are Christians who spent their life chasing after things of no eternal value. These are Christians who perhaps had the right foundation, but had all of the wrong materials. And all of their toil and all of their sweat and all of their labor will be burnt up because they did not employ the right materials. Notice, we're not talking about just lazy people. We're talking about people that sometimes are are very hardworking. And sometimes that is the most painful one to witness. The one that is caught up in false teaching. The one that is caught up in a wrong view of God and who He is and His person and His character. Mm -hmm. 
the one who knows enough about God to, to be truly converted, but does not know anything in terms of service. And he's very sincere. And he's very serious. And he works really hard. But he works at all the right wrong things. Mm-hmm. He is running a race, but he is on the wrong track, on the wrong day, in the wrong town, going in the wrong direction, with the wrong shoes on. And he's striving for nothing. Because he is using the wrong materials. The Bible says in verse 14, or verse 15, that he shall suffer loss. Those who are part of churches that are engulfed in the vanities of this world will have their ministries consumed in these flames. Worse yet, those who never even obeyed the command to be accountable, to worship with others, to serve with others, will have nothing to show for themselves when they stand before Christ. Right. Note the certainty of this language. It doesn't say that he might suffer some loss. No, it says he shall suffer loss. There's no participation trophies. You will not receive a reward just because you showed up. If you did not faithfully serve, you will receive no reward. And I can say that with the full authority of this book that is in front of me. And if you want your life's work to be approved of Christ, you must ensure that you are building properly right now. Right. Now, I, I'll be honest with you, I cannot explain exactly how this scene will play out. You say to me, well, there's no sorrow in heaven. There's no regret in heaven. And, and I understand that. I affirm that. But on the other hand, I cannot explain this text away. And I don't want to allow our systematic theology to get in the way of what the Bible plainly says. Amen. It just simply says that on that day, when Christ judges His people, there will be some who shall suffer loss. There is a real sense in which even saved, heaven-bound Christians will experience true sorrow, actual regret, and real loss when their lives and ministries are examined. Mm -hmm. There will be Christians with their heads hanging low on this day. There will be real shame on this day. And I believe it will come as a surprise to many. And the reason why it will come as a surprise is because they never examined themselves as the Bible commanded them to. This loss is not the loss of their salvation. Because salvation cannot be lost. It is founded upon this firm foundation which is Jesus Christ. It is not the foundation that burns up. It is the materials upon that foundation that burn up. It is the flammable features which some builders have used which will go up in smoke. Mm -hmm. And we know that this is referring to Christians because of the phrase at the end of the verse. Verse 15, he says, He himself shall be saved. Individually he will be saved. Yet so is by fire. This is a colorful picture of of a narrow escape. This is not how you want your legacy to go down. Amen. We can all think of men who seemed as if they were just on fire for the Lord, who seemed as if they were just zealous for the truth, 
who seemed as if they were just determined to serve. And all of a sudden, something came their way in the providence of God. They began to slip. They began to slide. And they fell. And they ruined their legacy. And they had nothing to show for it. They died a very sad life. We might say, well, that person is saved, but so is by fire. It is as if Christ says to this person on the day of judgment, well, you are one of my people, and you may enter heaven, but you will have nothing to take with you. You will have nothing to show for your Christian life. Can you imagine the regret of having an entire Christian life that counts for absolutely nothing. So many of you here this evening have so much of it yet to live. And let me say this, it is never too late to build with the right materials. It is never too late. Once God has revealed to you that you are not serving Him as you ought to serve Him, it is never too late to repent of that faulty service and serve Him according to the way He would have you to do so. If you are here today, there is hope remaining for you. I pray that you never have to hear on that day from the Lord Jesus, you could have served me better, you could have glorified me more, but you chose not to. Think of the awful feeling of disappointing your earthly parents. Think of the awful feeling of disappointing your spouse. How much more will we feel that when we disappoint our Heavenly Father. When we disappoint our Bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Some of you here today are truly converted, but you spend so much of your time on foolish and silly things that have no eternal value. Mm -hmm. And I fear for you, for what you will hear from Christ on this day. I had the privilege just two nights ago, of hearing Paul Washer preach in Atlanta. He said something in that message. He said, compare the time that you spend in prayer with the time that you spend in front of a screen. Mm. And I believe we could add several things. Compare the time that you spend scrolling on social media with the time you spend in the Word of God. Mm. Compare your faithfulness to other endeavors with your faithfulness to church. Compare the conversations you have about the things of God with the conversations you have about all of the trivial matters of life. Some of you speak to more lost people in a single day than you share the gospel with in an entire month. Do you really think that a Christian who rarely prayed was unfaithful, never even read his Bible a single time through, do you think he will receive praise from Christ on that day? He may be saved. Because salvation is not based on how well we served. If it was, none of us would be saved. But he will be saved while his life's work and ministry will be destroyed in the flames. Do you think that some of these preachers who deceive and lie, sometimes unknowingly to their congregations, 
who tell them that in order to be a Christian you must walk an aisle and pray a prayer? Do you think they will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? They may be saved, yet so is by fire. Right. All of the materials that they use will be burned up. Again, you may think that I'm being harsh, but I want you to contemplate something. What did Christ give for you? Did He not give everything? Amen. Did He not give His whole life for you? Did He not shed His blood for you? Amen. Therefore, no amount of service to Him could ever be deemed unreasonable. You're right. No amount of devotion to Him could ever be labeled as too much. Serve Him all the days of your life as fiercely as you know how and as faithfully as you possibly can. Because no one will stand before Him on the day of judgment and regret how much they served Him, but many will stand there with great regrets about how little they served Him. Amen. And as we close, I would be remiss if I did not warn you about one final thing. And I understand And this is just the way expository preaching goes. I understand that some messages are just harder on our flesh than others. This is one of those texts that does not really make us want to scream and shout and jump up and down. Mm -hmm. There's one final thing that I must warn you about. And that is this. As bad as it will be for unfaithful servants on that day, there is another group which will have it far far worse. In fact, the only group that will have a more miserable day of judgment than unfaithful servants of Christ are those who do not know Him at all. And for some of you, that is indeed your problem. It is not that you need to serve Christ better. It is that you need to be born again. You need to be made spiritually alive. You need to be redeemed. Part of our problem in evangelicalism today is that when we see someone who is living in sin, who is backsliding, well, they prayed a prayer when they were eight years old, so we treat them as a Christian who just needs to be more faithful when the reality is they're a sinner that needs to be saved. You You cannot serve a Christ that you do not know. So before you evaluate your service, which you should all do, but before you do that, you must take a deep, careful inspection of your own soul and determine whether or not you truly belong to Jesus Christ. Have your sins been cleansed by His blood? Have you been made righteous by His perfect life? Have you been justified by His substitutionary death? Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago and He lived a sinless life and He died a perfect death and in that life He began a work. He said in Matthew chapter number 16, I will build My church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And for the last 2,000 years the church has been all out onslaughting the gates of hell and brothers and sisters the gates of hell are not prevailing against that attack. And Christ is using men and women 
to fulfill that work. Amen. But they must first come to know Him through saving grace. Before you can have serving grace, you must have saving grace. Mm -hmm. And so I ask you, do you know Him? And if you know Him, do you serve Him? Are you repentant towards God? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? You must have the right foundation before you can build with the right materials. And wherever you are, and whatever your need is, whether it is spiritual salvation, whether it is grace to serve, may God meet that need in accordance with His Word. And may you know the Lord Jesus Christ and have life in Him. And may we build churches that are concrete, not combustible. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the good word of God. We thank you for this message, this message of rebuke. May it rebuke my own heart first before I stand and preach it to others. May we be mindful of the way that we conduct the work of the ministry. May we devote ourselves afresh and anew to the service of Christ. Father, I don't believe in these silly rededications and these silly vows that we make. But I do believe that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are able to awaken even your people who have fallen into a state of apathy and to consecrate their hearts afresh and anew to the service of Christ and His kingdom. Would you do that here today for that one that needs it most? And Father, that one that does not know you at all, would you reveal your Son by saving grace to them? May you engraft them into your kingdom and make them servants of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.